And we are live with our 214th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Seth Law, your host, joined by a special co-host today, since Ken is out of town, uh, Stefan Edwards, or Logical, or whatever you want to go by today. Stefan, you let us know. Um, Steph, say hi. Hey, everyone. <laughs> and that and that's about it, right? Yeah. We're, we're just going to wing things. Yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly let me see um uh, we to start things off today though we would like to thank our sponsor redpoint security redpoint specializes in code security for coders bolstered by years of experience testing web and mobile applications conducting secure code reviews against all types of apps including ai and web3 web3 it also offers training to help ground your teams in better security practices across the development lifecycle so check out redpointsecurity.com for more information and put your company on a path to better security. Again, thanks to Redpoint. Um, yeah, today, uh, Stefan and I are going to be digging into, I think, AI, right? Um, I know we've had a lot of discussions on the path, podcast about LLMs and AI, but my first question to you, since we are, you know, yeah, since we're winging it, right, as we always do, um, is... You know what your current impressions are of LLMs, AI, and just security in general. I know you've done a ton of work in your day job, and you know along those lines. So let's let's just start there, and then we can start pulling out some of those articles. Yeah, I, I think it, it's it's certainly been an interesting space, right? Uh, the the ability to parse and uh, syntactically and uh, semantically understand. Uh, natural language has has sort of become pretty commonplace suddenly, right? Um, and and I say suddenly, it's it's been years that we've been working on NLP. Uh, we've been working, and I mean natural language processing, not neuro linguistic programming. Uh, but it's it's been years that we've been working on this sort of thing. But all of a sudden, we have uh, these like MOEs, uh, memorandums of of experts. Uh, you know, like these large uh, LLM systems that have smaller expert or expertise systems behind them, rather than the the sort of like string processing and whatnot that we've seen in the past. And, and a lot of these have large corpora behind them. So there's a large number of tokens there. Uh, there's there's decent bit depths for each one of those. And uh, it's, it's definitely exploded. I think the, the other interesting thing is... Um, the democratization of LLMs. One of the things that I have said is any company that um, feels like it has a moat. And when I, when I say a moat, it's, it's referencing like get um, Google's, excuse me, uh, Google's paper of we have no moat that was, that was leaked. And uh, you know, as we, as we see uh, folks working on LLMs and working on systems to, uh, make recognizers and, and inferencers cheaper. Uh, we've seen people pushing it out to like Apple Silicon with, with smaller bit depths, uh, with smaller, with smaller corpuses or, or token, uh, token depths. And I think it'll be interesting to see what people start doing when it's not like, you know, a $20 million investiture to get codex. Or or, G, or chat GPT three three point five, um, 
it'll be very fascinating to see what happens there. And I, I do think security wise, like, yeah, there, there's tools out there that can generate, uh, you know, generate lots of things. I, I do think it helps with some tasks. I think it is missing quite a bit on others. I think my bigger concern is usually around uh, disinformation at scale and, and pretexting uh, at scale. It's very different than in the past when we've, we've sort of looked at these things. And now we have this like machine that is happy to, to generate all the pretext emails and all the, all the disinformation you want uh, forever and ever uh, at infinitum. Yeah. And that's always that. I mean, we, we start to step away from kind of the technical and I think this is what you're getting at, right? Like the, the technical attacks against, you know, like a specific like injection attack, right? I know we've got prompt injection and the other things. We'll talk about the OWASP top 10 for LLMs and AIs in a little bit, but from a disinformation perspective and then the generation of um, basically any content that you want that sounds good um, is going to become an issue, right? Like it, it's great for large corporations like your Googles, your open AIs to say, oh, well, we're never going to do that. But there are actors in this world and in, you know, in our, yeah, in on the internet that are going to use it for that sort of purpose, right? We're, we're not going to get away from that. And I, I don't know how we protect against that, right? Um, I, I mean, there's always the, well, we can use LLMs to detect LLMs or AIs to detect AIs. And like, it's almost an arms, arms race style, you know, uh, protection right, or whatever, right? Like races as you would have it. Um, but I, I just don't see it going away. It, it is coming. So so what do we do with that, right? I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, like what, what are your thoughts there? You know, how, how do you how protect do you... yourself? Yeah, I, I think I think the interesting one is there's been a few uh, articles like Simon Wilson is is great for following if you're you're looking uh, for this. Simon Wilson has been putting together a lot of like articles on things that break and articles on things that uh, you know are, are problematic. But what's what's fascinating is we're already seeing like SEO content farms leveraging Chat GPT to generate huge voluminous amounts of, of content and it's it's better uh for them in the, in the sense of they can generate higher quality content they can generate higher uh higher fidelity content um but a lot of that content is uh just as problematic as if a, a single person were asking chat gpt to tell me a medicinal re remedy um <laughs> from what i recall uh and I, I have to find the article, but uh, one of the one of those SEO sites, they were using ChatGPT for like medicinal remedies. So they basically were like giving it prompts about different common ailments that they could they could spam on. And uh, ChatGPT was coming up with these very uh, very well written articles, but several of them were like actually dangerous. So if you actually followed the ingredient set, uh, you you could technically uh, harm yourself. Now. That's no different from from folks selling, uh, you know, bogus remedies. Currently, the difference is the scale at which you're able to produce these these remedy charts or these these articles about that. Yeah, interesting. I mean, and I think about like the, um, 
like the lawyer that used a uh, chat GPT to generate an argument. Right. And it just made up evidence. I, like it's similar, right? Like it's just going out and it's pulling things that doesn't have something that matches exactly what's being rec uh, asked for. It's going to create evidence in order to, uh, to accomplish its mission, right? That's what we're, we've trained AIs to do. So it, it's not necessarily a fault of the AI specifically, but it's all the users of the AI, of those LLMs, what they're asking, the prompts that they're giving, the you know the data that you're asking for, and then the scale, like you said, um, where it actually goes from there. I, I mean, I just don't have a good answer to it right now outside of you know, just kind of the common sense, you got to be careful and ask an expert that's actually an expert, not just an expert AI. Uh, I'm sure we'll start to have specialized AIs that we use um, for different, for different expert opinions, right? Um, so like I go to an AI that is built and curated by like my healthcare provider, right? Because they're actually they actually have experts in the field checking the AI's answer, making sure that it is you know responsive, that it's it is doing what it should be. Or same in the cybersecurity space, right? Like, hey, I'm going to go to a specific security company and use their AI as opposed to the general AI that's on the internet because I don't know what's going into it. Whereas it's almost like this: there's a curated AI over in a specific space where the experts have some sort of say or at least some sort of guardrails that they put into place. Um, at, at least I, that that's kind of what I'm imagining is going to happen. I don't know if it's necessarily the case, but we'll see. I, I think the, the bigger problem with it, and, and you've heard lots of folks talk about this, but the bigger problem with it is as we, as we train these LLMs, and I, I hesitate to say AI for a lot of these things for, for a reason, uh, but as we train these language models, I think we are sort of hitting that uncanny valley, uh, like Turing test sort of situation where the the output looks reasonably human. It's not like a Markov chain that's only been trained in one depth, right? Uh, you know, what's, what's the next likeliest token? It, it's a huge, you know, 200 billion, 1 trillion parameter uh, system. So there's a large number of things that go into it. I think what we we tend to uh, overestimate is that there's the syntactic and the semantic domains are, are certainly impressive as to what ChatGPT can do, uh, and and these sorts of LLMs can do, but there's no necessary uh, contextual environment behind those semantic domains. So, for example, if ChatGPT was trained on, uh, you know medicinal remedies that involved like, you know, harmful practices, it has no conception of the fact that these are harmful. And if you use those, uh, you, you could, they could be injurious to yourself versus, uh, you know, maybe a system that had some sort of environmental context around the semantics there would know, Hey, wait, I'm looking for you know, a medicinal remedy, medicinal remedies have to come from peer reviewed scientific uh, systems, etc. And like you were saying, you could get there by training only on peer reviewed scientific systems. Um, but you would you it would come at the expense of the the uh, generality or the applicability of, of the system itself there. So it, it's a it's a trade off right now. But we're very often 
giving these things way too much credit. It's effectively Eliza. Uh, if you're familiar with the old AI, like uh, you know, term rewriting system, it's effectively Eliza with a lot more training data behind it. It's a, a, a calculator for text, basically. Yeah, yeah, and it it's I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to watch. So. And, and maybe where, where we will start then from an article perspective um, today is specifically around AI and cybersecurity, right? There was an article just this last week from uh, someone you know well, right? You know, <laughs> uh, used to work over at, yeah, or, you know, still runs Trail of Bits, right? Dan Guido. But let me drop that article in here. And this was brought to our attention, I think, in the, in the Slack channel. So if you haven't, if you haven't joined Slack, Please join our Slack channel. There's a lot of good uh, data being thrown there. And, you know, oftentimes we actually pull our articles from the Slack channel when we discuss them. So um, Dan goes into um, AI and how it will affect cybersecurity, right? Um, From an offensive perspective, uh, where it's going to be able to identify things, find bug bounties. Um, He's anticipating that people will use them in those different spaces. Um, but I, I was going to ask, you know, Stefan, did you have an opportunity to read through this article? Like what were your thoughts or responses to it? No, I, I think Dan has it right. Like the, a lot of the, we're in an AI hype cycle right now, AI hype cycle. And I think a lot of people are, you know, you're seeing a ton of startups that are claiming they're going to do LLMs for some weird uh, weird area, or they're going to apply AI to something. Um, and we're also seeing a lot of traditional companies that have, have existed for some time try to pivot into AI. I don't think we'll, we'll reach the full height of the, of the cycle until we have the Long Island AI company, similar to how we had the Long Island blockchain company. Um, but I, I really do think that we're, we're in a cycle right now. And, and Dan touches on that, right? Like there's, there's a thought that AI is either magical or there's the contrarian view that it's, it's completely useless. Um, you know, it's, it's a difficult time right now. I do think the corpora that's going into AI and the, the processing that's going into AI is extremely useful. And, and things like Tabby um, and various other like, run on your local machine, use uh, Apple Silicon or use your, your local GPU uh, are going to be very interesting to watch uh, as the future unfolds. But Dan nails it where, um, at least from my perspective, the real risk that we're, we're concerned about here is the ability to generate uh, effectively garbage uh, at scale. We're going to see uh, great pretexting. We're going to see maybe checklists of things come out, right? Like if you're an attacker and you're you're trying to figure out something, uh, you could search around on Google, or you could try seeing if ChatGPT has a checklist for something that you're interested in. Give me the checklist. Give me some pretexts. Uh, use it almost like rubber duck debugging to to walk through and understand your process as you're you're trying to attack something there. I, that's where I think we'll see the acceleration, not in. Uh, not in the sort of like, wow, scary, everything's the matrix sort of way now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I mean, that's been kind of my feeling. Um, and it it's good to hear you and actually Dan speak to that, right? As far as how AI is going to affect different industries in general, but cybersecurity specifically, it, you know, 
I think a lot of us get excited with the possibility of the mundane tasks that we do on a daily basis. Like I think about from, you know, AppSec perspective, you know, code review specifically, right? Ken and I talk a lot about that, right? Um, we're having a lot of discussions about, can we build an AI system that will identify these things for us so that I don't have to go dig through the code for four hours? If it can pull it out and, you know, I, I mean, we've used... AI and automated tasks for a lot of this. And there's tools out there like SEMGRAP, like the static analysis tools that are doing some of that. And it could be considered an AI, but we marry that with an LLM or something that has a large, uh, you know, a large source of data to actually identify those patterns before we get to a specific task and then protecting that there. Um, it's a, it's a game changer for us in actually being able to secure things or identify flaws, but it's going to go, it's going to be on the flip side as well for offensive techniques, right? An attacker going against a site can go to an, an AI and ask, all right, what is the site? What are the weaknesses that we typically see? Um, can we actually identify those weaknesses or if it's just like specific versions, whatever it is, it gives an attacker a quicker, um, uh, you know, a quicker path to get to the data to actually break that application. And, but on the flip side, it also gives the defender the same thing as long as they're, they're utilizing AI as well. Um, I mean, there was a, it was a few years ago that DEF CON had the, you know, the cyber challenge or whatever they called it, right. Where they have AIs attacking systems or attacking each other to see if they could exploit using AI technology. Um, and it actually, you know, it did pretty well at that time. It wasn't as mature but we're definitely going to see an increase in that in that space. There's no doubt about it. Given the given focus, focus. I, I think I think the other issue uh, that we see for a lot of these things is AI has interesting failure modes that that folks are not necessarily always aware of. So one of the one of the things that has has been brought up is like um, you know DARPA may have have been testing AI systems with uh, with with dogfight simulations uh, and whatnot, but one of the one of the interesting ones uh, that I read about was uh, they were looking for like optimal landings, and uh, the the AI system that was behind it, um, and obviously this is very different from an LLM, uh, the the style of system that was working here, but the the AI behind it realized that the game. The, the faster you went, the game uh, would actually overflow your speed. And so it just went as fast as possible in the simulation to overflow. And obviously that doesn't work in real life, right? Like you can't go Mach 7 uh, and land on a carrier. Uh, you're, you're going to, you know, you're going to end up destroyed. But uh, within the parameters of the game, it, it obviously works. So I, I think there's also a lot, and, and to Dan's point, there's a lot of misapplications here for things uh but also you know they're really on the lower end of the scale like let's say you are a bug bounty person and you you get up against something new here it's like chat gpt what would i do in this situation it again it's a very great rubber duck debugger or or uh you know help in areas that maybe you don't have the best experience in but you can apply your knowledge to if you're looking for something wholly new, it, it can steer you in the completely wrong direction. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, I mean, the, the checklist, the bug bounty, the, you know, that, yeah, network pen testing, 
whatever it is, as you discover things, if you're already an expert in that area, it'll be applied pretty easily. And I, but I think that's why we keep talking about it just because it does give us that opportunity there. So cool. Okay. So let's roll from that to, to um, oh, unless you had something else you wanted to add. I, I was just going to say, I really do think a lot of these like, you know, co-pilot and, and other things, a lot of the applications speak to the fact that our processes are terrible. Our languages are terrible, right? Like, for example, um, I know lots of folks use Copilot to generate the uh, if error sort of uh, cascade flow in Golang. Now, that's a very expensive way of looking at something that maybe should have been handled by a different language construct, maybe should be generated by another tool, something there. And yet, Lots of people are super happy with this extremely expensive LLM when we, we could have had something much better there uh, to, to do it. I think, again, what we're seeing is we have terrible processes and AIs are helping us get around the boilerplate of these terrible processes there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's definitely helping along those lines. I, somebody had... Uh... Yeah, Alicia Tutlary in Slack basically said that chat GPT needs an hey, watch this setting for potentially unsafe lower confidence responses. Um, but the way that the like chat GPT, those LLMs are built, I don't think they have a, uh, you know, they don't have a low confidence setting, right? Like there's no flag for any of that to, to be to be able to tell people, hey, I'm just making this up, right? Uh, the way that it speaks, it speaks as an expert and the language is structured as such. We've trained it that this is the way that, you know, an expert speaks. This is what you should speak as. And so it's going to represent whatever it provides to you as, you know, the end all solution. Um, um, hallucinations are bad in, in chat systems like this. In fact, uh, there was a comment on lobsters once where uh, a person was actually saying that the, the amount of effort that goes into chat GPT to stop it from sol solving your side of the conversation, right? Because it wants to complete text and that's what it does. So it, it's going to try to guess what you're going to answer based on what it's saying and try to solve it. And so, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of effort put into making sure it doesn't over speak and, and yes, we only get this like fully confident YOLO friend who like totally hypes you up on everything. Like definitely you should absolutely freebase caffeine. That's fine. And, uh, you know, like maybe you want some more context around it, or maybe you don't want your law cases to be pulled out of thin air and made up based on what law cases should look like. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Ken brought that up too. Like I told her in the, in the Slack, yeah, there's a hold my beer mode, right? Like that's basically what we, what we get with the hallucinations is yeah. Yeah. Like some mansplaining or AI splaining, I guess. I don't know. We'll coin some new phrase here. Yeah. It, the, the confidence level of, of chat GPT is interesting. I think, I think the other issue is um, similar to, to people we're not used to really questioning, like actually wrestling with the, the things that are given back to us from others, right? Um, and we're certainly not used to necessarily questioning the validity of, of search results, right? Like if you search Wikipedia, no one's going to think like this was made from whole cloth, right? It, it, it was completely made up. Now there's, there's a lot of disinformation in search. There's a lot of disinformation on, on Wikipedia, et cetera. But 
we're so used to trusting these results. And now it's like, we're back to the old days of like, cool. Anyone remember cool, the search engine that would just like completely randomly throw smut and other terrible things into your search results. Like we're back at that level. Like how many cools is, is chat GPT right now? <laughs> yeah. I, I, man, I haven't thought about cool in a long time. This is, yeah. Um, but I, you're absolutely right. Like the way that those responses come in, um, I mean, you can say, you know, prompt it to pose as an expert, but I, I also feel like we've, I don't know, the way that we interact with it, like we give it all the power in those conversations as far as like the trust level, like you're saying, right? Um, and if we see anything in the security space, we know that the second the user trusts any system or any link or whatever it is too much, that's where exploitation happens. So whether that is unintended, like a hallucination or, you know, some sort of you know weird prompt injection or intended like the prompt injections and other ways to get an AI to you know give out more information or an LM to give out more information, do things that it shouldn't. Which leads Which is- Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, no, ahead. I was just gonna say to Larry's point as well, like you absolutely can work on your prompts and tell it to uh, like they're, they're different. Uh, there's different stop modes to asking uh, the AI to, you know, how it justifies things or how it responds and whatnot, um, the level of depth that it goes to. But it's it's really uh, it's really up to you. Like Larry said, your mileage may vary as you go through and the quality of your prompts and also the quality of the training data behind it is going to be huge. And we don't necessarily always have insights into those, especially if you're consuming an application that uses it, you're not just using ChatGPT directly yourself. Yeah, it's, yeah, I I mean, it's basically, you know, take it with a grain of salt, right? Um, And I think anybody in the industry that's using it probably is. Um, but it's it's because of the hype cycle that we're in right now that I hear about like AI and you know from other people that aren't necessarily as in tune with security and even with technology in general that I have concerns because they are they're assuming that it's giving them the same sort of answers that they would expect from an expert from a doctor from us you know in asking a question and it might be okay but. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it all goes back to what, what what things have been trained on, the data that's there, and how like how that AI has been set up. And I mean, that's where I go back to, okay, we're going to have like these specific AIs that are backed by large organizations or trusted organizations. Um, and whether or not it goes that way, we'll see. But we do have the trade-off right now when it comes to those. I, I think the other thing is how much reinforcement is going on here. Um, currently, OpenAI does not necessarily retrain on the conversations that it has. But the moment you have uh, like reinforced learning, uh, unsupervised reinforced learning, that's when you get the like Tay situation where you train the AI to answer in absolutely hard, absolutely uh, foul uh, responses that are you know basically not safe for life. Um, that that's the real problem here. Humans are are messy and kind of jerks, and it's very difficult to think of all the ways that you're going to protect against that uh, and keep that expertise or expert voice as you go through in, in your uh, responses. Yep, yep. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's going to be, yeah. I, I mean, we've seen that problem, right? Like the AIs in the past when it is trained on the, on the responses and the requests as it moves through or it's as it's being used that it does get to be, you know, more racist, more misogynistic, more just like evil in general uh, because of the, the questions that are asked of it because of what, you know, what the prompts are that we're giving to it, the extra data, um, it becomes skewed pretty quickly. The, the interesting thought there though is uh, China actually has a version of Tay that is still running uh, and still is rein- reinforced uh, based on input, but they obviously have very restricted, uh, <laughs> very very restricted conversations that you can actually have online. Uh, but uh, obviously, not advocating for that level of restriction. But it's there. There is something to be said for the fact that uh, in in certain environments, even reinforced learning can can work quite well. Yeah, I, I mean, again, though, right, like the, the, the restrictions and actually the guardrails that are put around that are, are the reason that's that it it becomes more useful, right? Um, I did pop a, a link to Tay up there if no one's if if anyone doesn't remember, you know, dealing with Microsoft back in the day. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's fascinating too because uh, so many of these companies want to be at the forefront. They're not really necessarily concerned about. Uh, the the social uh, implications thereof of the things that they're releasing. So it's it's certainly interesting to see previous failure modes and, and maybe consider what what current failure modes would look like on on larger, more massive scales. Yeah, and that I mean that kind of does bring us to a good point to drop in here about the OWASP project right there, like LLM top ten um, and. And I'll be completely honest, I haven't dug into this quite uh, that much yet, right? Um, you know, we, we've been looking at other resources, um, but it is good to see that they have created it. Um, let me actually pull up. I'm going to pull up the PDF really quick and take a look to see making of the list. Oh, it is uh, Steve Wilson. Prompt injection, insecure output handling, trained data poisoning, model it's denial. denial. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. very like... It's the it's a, a typical grab like OWASP grab bag of of issues. I think, um, you know, there's a there's a handful of of maybe categories that I would have maybe put in here. Um, I and I understand why they went with the choices that they went with. I just maybe would have gone with categories of things like, you know, uh, prompt security. Um, you know, internal, internal access, um, you know, model theft, differential privacy or, or privacy of, of sensitive information stored within the model, just a, a handful of categories um, instead of the sort of grab bag that they went for. Although I, I do understand why they went the direction they went. Yeah. I, I mean, in general, like OWASP, this seems to be how the top 10 lists start. In gen- you know, they, you know, they they come out with specific vulnerabilities and then over time they, they migrate into more of a general awareness document. So similar like, you know, OWASP top 10, right? The web application security risks, how we've seen that migrate from very specific things to broad categories of, okay, what are the protections that need to be in place? Um, 
but that I mean that that's probably a topic for another day. The way that OWASP actually actually structures there. So speak to that a little bit. I I mean I don't love the fascination of, that OWASP has with top ten, right? Like and you know there's ten things that you need to worry about just because it's a good round number. Um, but you've mentioned things like prompt security. You've mentioned like uh, internal access, right? Like is there any any one of those that stands out as Hey, you know, we should we should be putting more attention into this than is currently being given to it. I mean, in the in the top ten, um, no, I, I think these these are all relatively well represented. There's there's fairly common uh, conversations around these sorts of things. I think what would be more interesting is to step back from this and talk about how we're designing these systems and how we're we're using this, like. For example, LL, uh, like LLM 01, 02, and 07, um, it would be very interesting to talk about how data gets into our systems, uh, where, where we source that data from, and then what connections the, our systems have, uh, have access to. That would be very fascinating to me, much more so than looking through, through your entire system for insecure plugin design. Um, you know, not many LLMs are, are necessarily going to have plugins as as part of their thing. Like very few systems are going to want to have uh, like RCE as a service uh, for, for their LLM or, or hopefully not. Hopefully there's not like a bunch of chatbots that are out there doing customer service stuff and also doing night work as like GitHub custodians or something like this. But um you know, I, I don't think that that's necessarily the direction I would have gone with these sorts of things and would have been much more curious about what goes into this from sourcing from from humans. Where does it go? How do we consume that output? What does it have access to uh, much more so than this, this sort of grab bag direction that was gone? Yeah, I, that I, I mean, that makes total sense to me, because I think that's where like the discussions that I've had with, uh, you know, with uh, Ken, with other people on the podcast about AI, that seems to be where our general concern goes is not necessarily, yes, there's the, the prompt injection, the vulnerabilities, these like very specific things, but it's all a, um, it's all a result of how that data, the discussion that, that you're, or those, those points that you're bringing out right now, where are we getting this data? How are we training this AI? How, you know, what, what sort of guardrails do we put into place? And maybe that's just in general, how we think about development, like system development, not necessarily software, but system development in general, it, we have to have those sorts of guardrails to make something that is safe and secure and usable and, you know, meets requirements for, for general consumption. And so I think that's probably just our bent on, you know, approaching any of that development as it is. Um, that being said, right, I did want to call out this one comment. I'm going to post it in the chat too, um, because it, you know, it it fits right in line with what we've been we've been discussing about LLMs as it is, right? Like that LLM, what is it, zero nine? I think is, yeah, over reliance on the LLM. I'm like, it's great to call this out in top ten, but what what is your recommendation there, right? Like, don't rely on LLMs. <laughs> In, in fact, if you scroll down uh, in the PDF and you get to uh, LLM 09, it's it's basically that. And, and the 05 is, is very similar, too. It's like, you know, 
make sure you know where where you're you're sourcing these things from and it's like that that makes sense I, I think it's completely reasonable is it is it something that i necessarily am going to have a very actionable uh, account for most people are not implementing llms themselves right most folks are consuming off the shelf uh off the shelf llms they're consuming products like llm as a service or ai as a service very few people are actually like working on these models for novel applications that they're going through a lot of times it's just we have a chat gpt license we have an open ai license and we're going to slam home our access uh like our our app into that and that's it it's not it's not a huge area that you necessarily have to worry about um unless you're implementing LLMs yourself directly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It makes sense. I, I, I'm going to have to go through and read this because there is like, I mean, they've done a good job like talking about the different risks and why the vulnerabilities, how to prevent things. But yeah, to your point, unless you're building or generating a model or, you know, considering it, a lot of this probably doesn't necessarily apply to you. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know, right? right? Like, if, if you look at 09, it's like, make sure you're, you're, you're using like uh, voting and self-consistency algorithms. Most people are not going to understand how to actually implement an LLM, let alone an MOE or any other self-consistency mechanism in order to make sure that they, they can do this. And in fact, if they are doing this well, they probably don't need the OWASP top 10 for this. They probably need funding and should be selling this to other people rather than just implementing this for one company's like, you know, customer service representative system. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's where we're seeing AI be used is, you know, in, you know, in, in interactions like that, you know, Hey, we're using open AI. We've put our own data on top of that. And now we're, you know, we're responding as chat agents or whatever it is, because it speeds up and it requires less people for us to actually do that, right? Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, okay. I, okay. I posted Tabby in the chat. I know I mentioned it earlier, but there, we're, we're going to see the rise of this. There's Llama.cpp. There's chat. G, uh, there's GPT for all. There's a lot of these sorts of systems that are, again, going to democratize the the, the access to a lot of these things. They're they're very often tuned for Apple Silicon or they're, they're tuned for local running rather than the, you know, uh, enterprise grade uh, GP GPUs and those sorts of things. So we're, we're going to see a lot more of this coming up. So it's, it's certainly possible that, that people need to work on self-consistency and whatnot, but saying use self-consistency in here, like it's, again, most people are not going to understand how to implement even the basics of, of LLMs or the basics of, of these sorts of, uh, you know, processing systems, let alone the security here on, on the side. You know, this is, again, very, very aimed towards the Googles, the open AIs, those sorts of folks who are actually implementing these things and selling it as a service, much more so than you or I would have on a regular LLM application. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be, I don't know. I keep saying it's going to be interesting to watch, but it's definitely interesting right now. Um, Ken also brings up a good point in chat that if we're paying, 
with our data before with social media. It seems like we're really paying with data now, right? The way that everything's getting crawled. And, you know, now we have to set up our web servers to tell chat bots to go away, but that's not necessarily going to turn away those that are doing it maliciously or just don't care, right? Um, it's, yeah, I, I mean, data has always been the gold mine, right? Of all of the different companies that are out there. We just haven't necessarily noticed it as much, but we will continue to be. I am interested to use things like Tabby, though, for, in a security con context, right? Like that's one of those that I think could be really useful in speeding up, again, expert systems, right? Identifying patterns, like what we're currently trying to do. I, I think the analogy I've seen very often is to um, pre-World War II steel, Right. The, if, if you're familiar with with background radiation and whatnot, um, steel, uh, steel can like we can currently make steel in a low radiation environment uh, so that there are certain applications that require low radiation steel. However, it's much cheaper to trawl the oceans for sunken ships that were made of steel pre-World War Two pre pre uh you know dropping of of uh you know hydrogen bombs and and reprocess that steel uh for use in in applications there because uh you know we we don't want to put up the work to do the low low radiation foundries and i think we'll start to see the same sort of thing here like what is wikipedia going to look like in 10 years when people can answer wikipedia questions um and and sort of dilute the the quality of, of what actually was there because wikipedia already has problems and if you think it's problematic now wait until there's 10 people who have no idea what they're talking about trying to get really great editing scores on wikipedia by using chat gpt yeah i, I mean we're going to see the same thing with stack i mean we've already seen stack overflow take a hit on the number of responses from expert developers because, right, they're turning to ChatGPT, they're turning to other sources for that same information rather than, you know, posting and asking those questions on Stack Overflow to generate the responses, but that's being used by, by the LLMs, by the AIs to source it. So where, like, it's, it's a vicious cycle, right? Like that's going to happen in a lot of different spaces, not just Wikipedia, but across the internet and search engine usage is going to become crazy weird, right? I, I, you know, just to just know, to know what's actually, yeah, well, and, response. And I think, again, I still go back to, especially in the code space or computer space, I go back to the fact that I suspect what we're actually looking for is a specification of what we want done. Most people don't want to code how to open a file in Java and then iterate over the file and load up a CSV row from there and remember the Excel dialect difference from the, you know, from the whatever dialect difference. And so we, we sort of use ChatGPT as a shortcut uh, or, you know, Codex and, and Copilot as a shortcut or Tabby or whatever system there. And really what we want to do is be able to say, open a file, process it as Excel CVE, and then run the results through this function that I'm tinkering with over here. And I feel like we need better systems to specify data rather than uh, systems that try to wedge themselves into whatever terrible processes we have here. But 
what I'm suggesting is not sexy and no one is interested in, in solving problems, but people are definitely looking for new problems to create and then solve them using AI. <laughs> I'm not cynical yeah, at yeah. all, by the way. <laughs> Obviously not, right? Like, I, I, I mean, we need to go back to what we'll do AI nihilism now, right? Like it's, it's all the worst and, you know, it's not going to be great in the end. Yeah, and, and also for future robots that will come back in time and extinguish my bloodline, uh, I'm not nihilistic about you. Uh, I'm just nihilistic about <laughs> about the, the current crop of, of uh, chat uh, or text calculators. <laughs> oh, good, good. You know, now, now that you've, you know, secured your future bloodline, <laughs> like, maybe, maybe, maybe this is a good segue. We could talk about... Um, uh, there, there's been like in the news, right? Like we've talked a lot about AI today, but um, in the news recently, there's been a few things that have popped up that have been interesting that we could discuss. Um, the first thing, and I know we didn't talk about this pre-show, Stefan, but the first thing is Zap's move from OWASP to the software security project. Um, and I know he's been threatening that for a while. I, I know that, you know, Zap in general hasn't necessarily been happy with the OWASP handling of different things, but um, I wanted to know what your thoughts were there. Uh, you know, S Simon and I have, have bumped heads in the past over, over Zap things. Um, but I think in, in terms of how OWASP funds and promotes products uh, or projects, I, I do think it has been a problem for a very long time um, I was involved with the OWASP Top 10 2013, and then I've watched Brian Glass, InfoSec Dad, uh, work through the OWASP Top 10 every year since. And the amount of data that Brian uh, combs over and, and goes through uh, is, is enormous, and it's a, a real testament to his dedication uh, in, in trying to do the right thing. But I've never gotten the sense that OWASP is willing to... Uh, set forward a policy on things, on how things work and how you run meetings and how you run volunteer efforts and how you fund volunteer efforts. And I think, uh, I, I think it has been changing under Andrew uh, Vanderstock. Andrew's been trying to make things better, but it's hard to move an organization the the age of, of OWASP and it hasn't really funded things successfully or, or put the amount of effort behind them. Um, it's pretty sad to see OWASP still reference like ISAPI in this, the year of our Lord, 2023. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's an older project. It's not something that's necessarily been kept up to date and, uh, and yet there's still a ton of references to it because there's no one necessarily who's able to go out there and, you know, fix these sorts of things. But the new LLM, LLM hotness or the new whatever project uh, will get a bunch of people who will put in time right now and uh, and then leave in six to 12 months um, when something else new comes up. So I don't blame Simon and, and Mark for moving away. No, I and that was... Yeah. You, I mean, you're speaking to me and kind of my feelings there, right? Like, I think we've all had our interactions with OWASP as a large organization that's trying to do 
too it's almost like too many things right like okay they're running all the local chapters but there's also the national organization that has all of their conferences then then also has all of their volunteer community projects some of which are flagship like zap was but the os top 10 but all of a sudden we're starting to like try to jump on whatever the hotness is like the llms and advertise to bring in more money to bring people into the conferences to get them into the chapters and it's just like the focus has always been so uh, in so many different directions that it's been hard to maintain whether it is right. Like, Hey, we're going to become an expert at running these, you know, the OWASP conferences. Um, and, you know, at some point they had like local chapters that were running them and we still have conferences that are not necessarily run by the national organization. They're run by local chapters. And how does that look and what look and what is the effect of that and how much of the money goes back to the, the main organization? And then, you know, trying to I, I mean, I don't I don't envy Andrew. I don't envy the executive committee that's trying to guide that organization because of the number of players that are involved and all the different pressures that exist. Um, that being said, right, like it, it is still a great resource and there is good stuff to be found, but there's so many dormant projects like you were saying with that, you know, somebody came in 10 years ago and started building a checklist for whatever and, you know, presented on it and talked about it. There was interest at the moment and now it's 10 years out of date and it really should probably just be dropped because it no longer reflects reality. Um, but how do you get rid of something like that when somebody did pour that time and energy into it? Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's organizations like first, uh, which, uh, you know, work on CVSS and, and they, they've taken over CVSS and they've been, iterating much faster on, on the way that things work and they have EPSS and, and all sorts of things. But, you know, I think that the issue is, is that we need structure and stricture from above. And, uh, you know, heretofore OWASP has had difficulty enforcing that. It was sort of just like a, a place where people could show up on hack on things. And that is good when you're, when you're getting started, but as you grow, having some sort of like vetting process and whatnot is, is probably for the best. And uh, again, I think Andrew has tried to, to turn it around, but I, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to change a 23, 24 year old organization. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's definitely grown over the years. I think when aspect aspect security exited OWASP, uh, it sort of was, uh, given to the community, but it was, it didn't have the sort of benevolent dictators for life. And it didn't have the sort of like very strong executive committee. And I think Andrew, who ironically worked for aspect, uh, I think Andrew's trying to get back some of that, but it's, it's not an easy lift at all. And open SSF and SSP in, in general, um, they, it, it's, it's a very different org. It is, um, it's funded, right? First of all, right away, it is funded. Um, you, if you work on a project there, it's generally because you work at a FANG or you, uh, you work at some other large corporation that's part of SSF. And so it's a very different atmosphere from OWASP, which is like sort of relying on volunteers to sort of come together and figure out how to rule themselves versus like, uh, you know, the Linux Foundation 
sets the tone for each of its mini foundations underneath it. And OpenSSF and SSP are, are some of the, the bigger ones that they, they want to have some visibility and, and stricture for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, uh, I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, right? Like, you know, the, you know the, we need to move... We need to move things forward. Uh, projects like Zap provide such great community value that it, it, you know we need to support them. I, I we saw seeing similar things happen with Red Red Hat. Right, I was going to say Red Point there. Red Hat back in the day, you know, where it, it almost became, um, uh, you know, an open source project of IBM and other large organizations that were contributing to it to keep it going because it was such a community resource. So the Linux Foundation supporting Zap through the Software Security Project, you know, that sounds that sounds awesome because it will continue to give us these resources and keep the needle moving when it comes to, you know, uh, the proxies that are out there, whether that is Zap, whether that is Burp Suite, we need that sort of at least... Um, innovation happening and if there isn't any sort of challenge to those those different projects they have a tendency to stagnate i i do wish and this is this is just me wishing that there was something that was not written in java uh and not a a a, a burp a fiddler a, a charles or any of those sorts of things um but i do wish that the the open ssf or ssp had uh you know, funded some like crazy Rust or Golang proxy that does all this stuff and, you know, provides some nice interface for things uh, there. It would have been very nice. I, I get it. Zap and and whatnot is is a known factor. And, and Simon was working at Mozilla and, and other places. So it, it made sense to move the project. But I, I do wish we, we had gotten some fresh movement in there rather than just sort of keeping zap alive. Yeah. Uh, well, there is, I mean, I have been seeing, Oh crap. Now I can't remember, but I know we talked about it probably a month or two ago. There's some new ones that have popped up. Um, the, the problem that I see with most of those is just the, uh, the plugin environment um, that exists or you know, the plugin options that exist aren't anywhere near as mature as zap and burp suite and so it's hard to flip over as a professional using one of those other tools to something that doesn't provide the same level of support yes the basic intercepting proxy works it looks a little cleaner um, it's a good option but what i find myself doing is using something like you know proxyman or whatever it is on um on Mac OS, and then I'm pushing all the traffic through the burp so I can use a specific tool, which kind of defeats the purpose. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just gonna point at burp at that level. Yeah, and I, I think that's the shame, right? Is um, burp and zap are still best in class for, for certain things. And I, I wish we had sort of invested time, like Windows experience, think about Windows experience, right? For, for proxies. Fiddler is still the easiest, like one click, do the thing. And it's like, that's awful. Like Fiddler is terrible to use. It is really, really awful. And yet somehow we've ended up here where this many years later, I'm using different tools and different things, except for proxies. I still have the same burp, zap and Fiddler style options across the board. It's, it's wild to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. 
we could go to, I mean, we could go back to using Web Scarab or, uh, you know, Paros, right? Like, yeah, come on. Come on well, come on. you know, it's funny. Uh, most people don't realize this, but Zap is just a fork of Paxos. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you if you look under the covers, there's still a few things that are like com.paxos as, as packages there. And it's like, you know, there's there's a lot. When I, when I worked at a, a large bank, uh, the point of contact there, uh, he only used Paxos. And it was the first time, this was over 10 years ago now, uh, it was the first time I had seen it. And it was, it was wild to me that that existed. And he preferred it over Zap because he was like pulling along a limping version of it uh, versus, versus Zap, which was at the time, you know, fairly new, newer fork, et cetera. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, honestly, like we build upon the open source software that's available. So again, right, like it's not overly surprising to me. Um, I was trying, I was trying to, to see to... if I could find the other proxy that we had looked at recently, but I'm not seeing it right now. We'll dig later. I'll post it in the in the Slack channel. But I, I do think in any other domain, if if you came forward and were like, hey, we're, we're using the same thing and it hasn't been updated at all, really, in 10 years. Yeah, we've added a few more things and we, we fixed bugs and whatnot, but it's the same thing. Um, and it's still just as painful to use and it still crashes all the time and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Um, people would think you were nuts. And yet in, in uh, security, it's like, we're not going to invest in our basic tools here. We're going to just keep zap and burp and everything limping along. And yeah, yeah so, so let's start another proxy, right? Yeah, yeah that, that's it. We need, uh, like you know, yet another proxy, <laughs> uh, yap. Um, we need to make yap as a thing, but I, like, I get it, I understand it's it. I'm, I'm not trying to trivialize the amount of work that goes into these proxies, right? I, I know for a fact that it's a lot of work, um, and I'd probably love to see something more like tamper data, to be quite frank, uh, play out rather than uh rather than a intercepting proxy. Um, but it just is so, uh, like there's just so much work and so much lift to get these things going. And, you know, we don't invest in tools here. We just sort of cobble things together to keep them going. Well, yeah, what, what is it about security people that we, uh, we, we quite enjoy creating the new project with crappy code and then we don't want to support it, right? Like I, I know, like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, you know, at fault there, right? Or guilty of the same thing. Um, but in general, it's because, you know, we have to move on. We, you know, there's something else that pops up from a security perspective. So we move off of whatever project it is and it's not necessarily supported. Yeah, it, it's also interesting too, for, to Larry's point, like the, the mobile story for a lot of these proxies has, has sort of sucked forever. Um, and yet, like, Kevin Cody, who worked at worked at Invisium with with Seth and I, and, and worked with me at Aspect prior to that. Um, Kevin Cody's blog post on like how to bypass it in like Android, what was it, Android M or KitKat or like it was some ancient Android. Like I still find that blog post referenced, and it's like that hasn't worked for years, and yet we we so we're gonna have like ChatGPT, you know, twenty thirty five is going to be referencing how to bypass a proxy on, on Android and it's going to be Kevin Cody's uh, like port there. And it's, it's, it's quite telling that we very often don't fix a lot of the tools that we, we have here, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is right. Like, and it, it's, yeah, <laughs> Kevin Cody. I, I'm pretty sure that was the most popular blog post at Envisium of all time. And it just had to do with how do I freaking like get Android to talk through a proxy and I have to load up this, you know, the, uh, the certificate, you know, connecting to the system store and it doesn't apply anymore. Right. Like, but, it, and it hasn't for years, but people still, yeah. But I do think also, uh, again, on the tooling front, it's like we do so much work to break the chain of trust for for things here. And it's like that's that's not an actual attack that most people are going to run into. Like most most uh, mobile devices do some form of certificate validity checking for you before they'll actually even connect. Uh, so, you know, yes, you, you can do tofu or whatever there but it's like there's so many things that uh aren't an issue anymore and yet we still work as if they were the issue rather than trying to figure out some better way of handling these sorts of things yep yep i mean i think we get there on certain projects and you know we're definitely having you know a, a commercial version um but i would like to see movement off of things like java right for a lot of this i yeah it kills me for year for years. Uh, Burp would crash if your project size got over a certain limit. And I, I remember I was on one engagement where it was like every four hours I needed to save my project and start over, like restart the entire because we were just generating that much traffic. And when we turned over all the Burp states at the end, it was like you know I had two per day for you know two weeks and then there was like four people on the project and and it wasn't even that long ago that i had reused burp and it was still flaky on large burp states and it's like you know we we have all of these problems that we just aren't fixing our tools are atrocious and yet we we keep doing it because there's commercial inertia or whatever behind it you know and to bring it back to AI, I can't wait until it's like, you know, we're, we're truly old. We're, we're, we're not old yet, but when we're truly old and it's like, we're going to run into some like, you know, interface that's clearly not sentient or whatever it is at that point. And it's like, you know, it's just some like chat system, like chat GPT, and it's going to still be running with, you know, a corpora from now. <laughs> like it's, it's just, it's truly frightening how long we're, we're, we're willing to put up with this sort of stuff, but then we'll pay millions of dollars in order to have some fancy text calculator around. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think it's just security in general. Like you look at the banking industry, you look at some of those other places and we do see a lot of these. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of these old technologies that still exist and some of it is because it, it fits the problem and it fits the problem better than anything else that someone has come up with or like people have, haven't wanted to invest the time in supporting something that is new. Well, well cool. Cool. I, I don't, I want to be cognizant. I know we've been talking for an hour. I know you've got a, you know, a stop here pretty quick, um, Stefan, but um yeah, do you want to put a bow on it? Like, are, are you going to be at DEF CON? I know we haven't necessarily talked about the fact that that's this week, but, uh, you know, what what are your plans for the near future as far as, like, where people can meet and talk with you? No, I'm, I'm not going to be at DEF CON. I'll probably be on the podcast again. Uh, I, I am not uh, not necessarily traveling. We um, we have a lot of stuff going on around the house and whatnot, so we'll, we'll be, I'll be knee-deep in house projects mostly. Um, but, um, 
I do think we'll, we'll probably aim for like maybe another midwinter's night con. Um, we might do some more smaller focused conferences, um, you know, try to try to get like a mixed uh, virtual in person sort of thing. I, I think I'll just try to drag Seth and Ken through running another conference again, uh, rather than going to one myself. Um, what's the saying? Like, don't don't go to any club that will have you as a member. Like, I'm just going to make my own club. <laughs> that that works right like that's i mean that's that's why we started absolute AppSec as it was right yeah um yes so but along those lines he did mention you know uh midwinter nights con we're having discussions about that watch our space join slack um walk watch our twitter i, I don't even know x handle whatever you want to call it nowadays X, you know <laughs> twitter quote unquote um watch this space we will post about that if you're going to be at DEFCON, please, please, please come to our happy hour um, Thursday night, 5 to 7, local time. Uh, let us know if you need an invite. Ping me on one of the social medias or on Slack, and I'll send you over a link so we know who's actually coming. Um, but otherwise, yeah, uh, Stefan, thanks for the, the discussion today. It's been interesting as always. And Ken is actually posting on you know YouTube chat right now, so... Um, you can mock him there and yeah, I guess we'll see everybody in Vegas or, you know, next time that we're on. Thanks, Stefan. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. Ciao. I'm going to shut things down.